Well, in the name of Jesus Christ, good morning. Good to see everybody this morning. Um, a few weeks ago, uh, I, I did something um, a little strange. My wife and I uh, went on a cruise. Now, if you know me, that's not the kind of thing that you would think that I would enjoy. But we went to celebrate our 30th anniversary. And I figured that putting up with me for 30 plus years deserves a little bit of a reward. So we got a, a room that had a little balcony on it. It was the cheap balcony. We were right above the water in the cheap seats on the ship. But hey, it was great. It was a balcony. We were, we were living large. We had a great time. It was, um, it was a luxurious week. Uh, I'll just admit that. Um, but you know, I, I think it's important for us uh, to celebrate milestones in life. And as I shared just a couple of seconds ago, being married to me for 30 years definitely counts as a milestone uh, for Cheryl. So I took along with me uh, a book by Thomas Merton uh, to reread uh, during this cruise. And as I look back, it probably wasn't the smartest thing to do. I mean, I was attempting to read a book on contemplative prayer by a Trappist monk on a floating buffet line with 4,000 people. You see the problem? Yeah. Um, so I said, where am I going to read this book on contemplative prayer? So there's one place that was an obvious choice. It was on the serenity deck. So I went up to the serenity deck. No children allowed. And it was loud. There was so much commotion up there, I couldn't read this book. So I said, okay, I think this ship has a library somewhere. So I walked all around, found the library. This is a great place to read a book. Well, there were all these retired people in there playing bridge. And all these people playing cards. Oh, I can't read in there. Then I thought to myself, why haven't I thought of this? We have a balcony. So I went down to our room, went on the balcony, arranged the chair, sat down, opened up this book on contemplative prayer, and all I could focus on was the sound of the water 30 feet below me. And oh, there goes a flying fish. I couldn't focus on this book at all. So I said, all right. So I just went inside the little cabin, plopped down on the bed to read. I could have done that in Wilmore. When you think about your life, are you distracted by external stimuli? I think we all are, aren't we? We can't avoid it living in the world today. Many of us spend most of our lives focused on external activity rather than the internal processes of our lives, and we don't even realize it. In this county, it's the first day of school for, uh, for all the public school children. It's a big day. And all around Jessamine County tonight, parents are going to talk to their kids, and they may ask a question like this, what did you do today? Rather than, what did you learn today? How do you feel things went today? 
our lives are focused on what we do, on our experiences. Maybe we're much more comfortable with the externals of life than we are with what lies below the surface of our lives. Maybe we're too afraid to stop talking or to stop experiencing or to stop the busyness that we we create for ourselves. Maybe because we're terrified that if we slowed down and took a long, deep look at our lives, we're not quite sure what we'd find. Maybe that's a reason why so many families and churches and pastors stay so busy all the time. Or maybe I'm just turning into a grumpy old man. I don't know. We we falsely believe that the more externally productive we are for God, the more God will be pleased with us. Listen, that heresy has no place in the mind or the heart of the Christian. Now, it's true. Jesus said, Matthew 28, we all know that, the verse at the end of the chapter, right? Go into all the world and make disciples. Those are active, beyond our own selves activities. Yet that same Jesus says in John 15, to abide in him. And that abiding in Jesus produces much fruit. Yet I don't think we should make the mistake of thinking that the goal of the Christian life is to achieve a perfect balance between activity and stillness. It sounds a little zen to me. That reminds me of what Aristotle wrote about finding the golden mean. I'm not sure that finding balance in our lives should be the ideal for disciples of Jesus. When when ministry that we're engaged in does not emerge from our abiding in Christ, that very ministry we do in Jesus' name can become an idol that we worship. When prayer becomes about the prayer... We're no longer praying, are we? When we want to adore God in the beauty of the world around us, we need to be careful because it's easy to slide into simply adoring the beauty of the world around us. When making disciples is done out of obedience to God rather than from our love for God, maybe we have forgotten what it means to be a disciple. when we preach in a way so as to hook people and hold them in the palm of our hand, maybe we're encouraging them to follow the wrong God. When the bread and the wine are about how we receive them rather than what it is we're receiving, we've succumbed to lives of stale religious practice, haven't we? Now listen to me. We can't ignore the world that we live in. We're not Gnostics after all, are we? We're also not quietists who simply empty ourselves for the sake of emptying ourselves. 
That's not what we do. For the disciple of Jesus, all external activity must come from a deep love for God. And that comes from simply spending time with God and allowing the Holy Spirit to whisper love and truth into our lives. Yet when God is whispering into our lives, are our souls quiet enough to hear? Over the years, I've been blessed to serve many amazing congregations. I've loved every church I've been blessed to serve. I really have. Um, I remember one congregation I went to uh, was really proud of one thing about them. They had something on the calendar every day of the year. New Year's, Thanksgiving, whatever it was, they were, we are a church that does for God. They were proud of this. I mean, they, that's all they were about. Look at our calendar. Isn't that wonderful? Look at all the ministries we're doing. So I got there in June, and in August, I, 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 at the church council meeting, I said, you know, I, I've looked at our calendar. We're a busy church. What would it look like, I asked them this, if we were to go on a ministry fast for a month? If we did nothing but worship on Sunday, would we know who we are as a congregation? Boy, you should have seen the expressions on there. Well, what? Now, let's see what all this has to do with Psalm 91. This psalm is about the inner life, isn't it? It's about living in the shelter of God. It's about finding rest in God's shadow. It's about God taking the action in our lives while we hide in his safety and provision. But living in the shelter of the Most High is not about sitting idly away from everybody watching time go by. Living in the shelter of the Most High is about living in God's protection wherever we go and whatever it is that we're doing. You see, living in the shelter of God is how we find rest. Talk to plenty of pastors who are exhausted from life and from ministry. Maybe that's where you're finding yourself today. You're just tired. You need some rest. And so many times when I'm talking with these folks, my question is, where are you seeking rest? See, the rest that we need is not going to come from the comfy chair in our house. It's not going to come through pharmaceuticals. Certainly not going to come from a cruise vacation. We find the rest that we ultimately need by taking shelter in the shadow of Almighty God. Doesn't matter what we're doing. We can find rest in the busyness of life if we're living in the shadow of God. Because see, finding this shelter 
living in this shelter of the shadow of God isn't just relegating ourselves to an inactive lifestyle. And don't fall for the trap in modern Christian culture that silent prayer is inactivity. Let me tell you, there's a lot going on in the heart of someone who's sitting quietly in prayer. We just can't see it. So don't apologize for taking time to pray. That's active ministry. Now, some of you know that, that I'm a lay Cistercian at Gethsemane Abbey here in Kentucky. As Cheryl says, I go play with the monks every once in a while. And in, in, in my ecumenical sharing of life and faith with the monks who live and minister there, uh, I have to tell you, in some ways, these men who live behind the walls of the abbey have taught me more about ministry beyond the walls than non-monastics ever could. See, training for ministry is more about the motivation of our hearts than it is about our capacity to do the various tasks of ministry. You know, every once in a while, you know, I, I, I don't know, I think that I could really like living as a monk. I mean, you go to my office upstairs, it's kind of monkish a little bit, you know. Think about this. I mean, you spend your day, you're praying, you're singing the psalms, you're doing some writing, you're freed from the traps of technology and culture. People come by and you're the wise sage to give them spiritual counsel. Sounds like a pretty good life. So I think, yeah, yeah, I could probably do that. So when I mention this to Cheryl every once in a while, her first response is to laugh at me. See, I don't nearly have the metal or the fortitude to live out their divine calling. Very few people do. But I've come to learn that their contemplative life is entirely possible for those of us that God has called to live in the busy, angry world of modern society. But the problem for many of us is that we spend so much time in the externals of life that we have no idea how to find rest in God's shadow. Y'all remember Mr. Rogers from the neighborhood? Listen to what he said once. He said, what's essential in life is invisible to the eye. Think about your life. Does that statement represent what's essential in your life? Or what you think is essential in your life? See, many times we're so focused on the ends or the results of ministry that we fail to question our means or our methods. We base success in ministry over faithfulness in ministry. And we're so trapped in the externals of life that we can forget simply how to trust God. Listen, hiding ourselves in God is all about, as Jesus said multiple times, having the ears to hear. 
And by the Holy Spirit, we're able to see between the spaces of our active lives. As we see in Psalm 91, we're not to fear the things that we can process with our physical senses. Because we're being protected by the one that we can't always process with our physical senses. Have you noticed that meals are a great way to process life and events with the people that are closest to us? Sharing a meal allows us to celebrate the daily bread God has provided for us. When the disciples experienced what we call the Last Supper with Jesus, I imagine they were focused on the escalating events of the week. There were a lot of things happening. And at that meal, the daily bread they shared that night had a hidden, deeper meaning. That in the tension of the week's events, the disciples may not have been able to see. See, the bread and the cup that we share is a mystery. Sometimes it's a hidden mystery. We can't fully explain it. And that's difficult for those of us who desire concreteness and perspicuity in all things. For us to process the hidden, mysterious nature of what the Lord's Supper means, we have to look deeper than the external bread and the wine. Now certainly, we know the Lord's Supper is both a remembrance of Christ's sacrifice for us, It's a celebration of of Christ's continued presence with us. But what might the Holy Spirit be saying to each one of us through these elements? If we're spending all of our time out in the hot sun and not in the shadow of God, we can miss these hidden moments of Holy Spirit introspection. Verses 9 and 10 of Psalm 91 state this. If you make the Lord your refuge, if you make the Most High your shelter, no evil will conquer you. See, that evil comes to us from our enemy. But sometimes that enemy can actually be ourselves. When we try to create our own shelter from the fallen world. When we try to hide from who we really are through a flurry of activities and noise that we invite in our lives, we end up building a shelter that can actually block us from God. The psalm ends this way. The Lord says, I will rescue those who love me. I will protect those who trust in my name. When they call on me, I will answer. I will be with them in trouble. I will rescue them and honor them. I will satisfy them with a long life and give them my salvation. Thanks be to God the Father who rescues us from ourselves through his son, Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray together.